Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. This, uh, this conversation, my mind will always go to music, and of course I'm very trained in, in the Broadway <laughs> genre, and whenever, this has been going on since I was a teenager, because that's when I learned this song, if somebody says to me, what is love, of course my mind goes to the song. What is this thing called love? This funny thing called love. <laughs> Always. That's the question, isn't it? What is what is love? Yeah. I I in my experience which isn't the longest or the shortest at this point because I'm I'm kind of in the middle is that love has layers and levels. I perceive it as you really cannot define it. You can share your feelings on it. And I feel that love, I feel that love is everything because love is something that you need to take action on. Love is something that you need to sit in. Love is an energy. Love is an experience. It's a feeling. Love is thoughts. It's emotions. It's spiritual knowledge, consciousness. I feel that it's everything. The the levels of love that I, I had in my early life here for my family, my parents, and my siblings, when I reflect upon it, I see it now as it was more of circumstantial attachment. Mm. I was born to this family. Clearly, I resonated with that family. So I was born to them because you can't be born to a family that you don't resonate with. And, you know, as when we're born, it's, we're surviving. Mm -hmm. And in the family I was born into, I didn't really need to survive. My needs were met. I remember feeling more of a longing towards my mom and my brother than I did for my dad and my sister. And I felt, I felt a longing to learn about my sister and I felt her resistance to it. I felt my ease of connection with my brother, but I felt his conflict with himself. 
I felt the I felt the 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 love of my father and the connection of my father and yet I felt his internal conflict and I felt the deep deep internal connection with my mom but at the time when I was little I felt like that was love and then of course you know there's the development of that when then you meet other people outside of your family and then there's the soul connections with certain people and for me it was genderless because there were some girls that I felt so connected with. And then I would remember um, other times that I am with them, if I was a male with them or a female with them, and other times, other lives. And the different nuances of that magnetic attraction. And, oh, I want to spend time with this person. And I want to share. I want to be with them. I want to be with them. I just want to be in their energy. I want to be in their field. and. I didn't think of anything as love as a child. I didn't think of that word, even though love was spoken often in my house growing up. We were told, I love you and all of that. It was just, it was a matter of who I wanted to be with and who I didn't. And who I knew that I would learn through and who I didn't. And I know that when we're children, we are highly aware of all of that. What locations I was really drawn to, like like when I first went to Brazil. That's the, one of the few places on this planet I feel like is home for me. And I'm like, oh, I just want to be there and I want to be and that. That makes me feel good. And there's so much there for me. I really see that experience, that feeling of magnetic push and pull as different nuances of love. I mean, it's polarity is what it is. When I birthed you, that was the first time I felt a different energy of love. I mean, when I met your father, of course, I was just like, this is huge. This is big. This, this is love right away. I just want to be with him. I want to spend all my time with him. I want to get to know him. I've got, I just have to be connected with him. And and what I felt for him was more so than I'd ever felt for any guy that I had ever been attracted to. Even though I thought that I had loved a couple of guys before him, I realized when I met him that I really hadn't. But when I had you and then I had your other siblings, that was a whole new level of this is a soul that I know. I'm so excited this soul is here. I was very conscious, you know, welcome, I, I said to you, welcome back. I said that to all three of you, the moment you looked up at me, you know, from my naked, naked body and you're looking up at me and the midwives are tending to you, all of you. And I looked into your eyes and you're all just so tired <laughs> from the birth process. Your eyes were super swollen. So were Kyan's. And it was, you know, little mouths, all smooshy. You're looking at me and I'm like, welcome back. And you just, you kind of gave me this look like home. F- <laughs> but that was just like oh my gosh this is my baby my child and this is a soul that 
I am here to guide into themselves more deeply. That is what I feel is like the reflection back to myself of what love is. You know, if you can define it. I mean, what are what is your perception on them? What are your thoughts on that? I have absolutely no idea what love is. I <laughs> I have, I have zero clue. Yeah, I mean, I've I've I think if we're if anyone's being honest, I don't really think that love is definable. Um, kind of like you said. I mean, I, I've had a lot of shared experiences to to you. I think most people probably have if they've gone through the quest of trying to identify. Uh, love in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I mean, I've I've thought that I've loved people. I've thought that I've loved people in a way that is somehow more than somebody else. Um, but I don't. I don't know that. I mean. That feeling isn't love. I've I've felt lust for people. I've felt I've felt a strong desire to be around somebody. That's not love. I could say that I love my enemies. That's for sure. I have never would wish any level of like permanent harm on somebody. And even if I did, I would still consider that to be love in a way, um, because they're that greatly inside of me. You know, they're that much in my mind and my heart that that strong repulsion is an attraction at the same time. So I would say people who kill each other love each other. I would say that I would say that love permeates all things and is never without. So I don't really think that it's possible to not love something. Um I think it's possible to hate something. I think hate is a temporary emotion. Um I don't think that love is an emotion at all and I don't think it's I don't think it's temporary. I feel like with hate Hate, damn, let me, like, I felt about hate before, and what I thought I felt as hate was really fear, fear of going into the depth of darkness in order to rediscover parts of myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so here's an example. As a teenager, I felt I hated my father because of the obvious abusive situation with him. And what I realized through decades after that of going through, of course, tons of different types of therapy and then really diving more deeply into it once the marriage was done and going to Brazil and doing healing with John of God, João de Deus, and spending a month there in Brazil and, you know, my father just kept, kept coming up and then realizing that what I had perceived as a teenager as hate for him really was experiencing empathically his pain and, and my, my wanting to help him as a small child was literally and it's easy to do when you're the child of somebody because you have half of their dna in you was taking on his pain as mine and his pain was he empathically took on his parents pain in order to help them 
Because that is love. I agree. I think that people often say that love, um, like the one of the most common definitions of love that I've heard um, beyond sort of like a, a, a Disneyized version is when people grow older, they get into a committed relationship and they define love as a choice, right? Because they view love as something that you have to sacrifice a bit of yourself for, which I, I do agree with. I think that that is a condition upon which love can become obvious. Uh, when you're in a relationship with someone for a long time and the lust goes away and then you realize there's a part of yourself that has, you know, to choose whether or not you're going to commit yourself to this relationship or you're going to let it go. And if you think that this person is somebody who's valuable to you outside of lust you, and then you choose to commit yourself further to the relationship, that is a deepening of the understanding of love. So... I could definitely say the same thing about somebody who takes on emotions from someone else. I think that that empathy is a sacrifice in the same way that a relationship invokes sacrifice. So I think that that is, I think that when you sacrifice something, either you're taking on something of someone else's or you're giving up something of yourself for someone else, I think that makes love obvious. So I think that reveals the love that's already there. Yeah, it does. And you made a really good point because it just helped me to really reflect. You made a really good point, and you've said this before in in the past, when the lust is gone, when two people come together and the lust is gone, and it, it flashed in my mind, my father, at multiple times when I was growing up, saying to my sister and I, make sure that you marry for passion. And make sure that you have enough things that are in common with each other and make sure that you have enough differences so that you learn from each other. That was okay. I'm, I'm grateful that he shared that with us. But I learned by actually following that 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 did not work. And I don't see that it worked for my parents either. I Marrying or partnering for passion, passion is the same as lust. Passion is... You know, yeah, I just want to I want to have a lot of sex with you. That fades. Well, I, I I don't know if I mean, maybe he did mean it in this way. But when you say passion, it doesn't just make me think about the passion of two people coming together for sex. It also makes me think of the people who come together because they share a passion for work or because they share a passion for the world. Yeah, he didn't mean that. He meant have enough commonalities in that way so that you can become be friends what I feel that I learned from having a, I just rounded up to 18 years, an 18-year marriage because it was so close to that. What I learned from having an 18-year marriage is you, you don't, well, number one, I wouldn't get married legally. But number two, marrying because you are sexually attracted to somebody is not a good foundation to get married because the sex fades. <laughs> Life happens. I'm postmenopausal. This body's already been through menopause. And let me tell you, your libido wanes. What have you got left? You have to partner, number one, based on you have mental and emotional connections and stimulation with each other. And that you, you, are, you care about their soul. You literally care about this person on a soul level because you know that you and this person are going to change and change a lot in the relationship because change is all life offers. As people grow, especially if you partner up with someone that 
stimulates you to grow on all of those levels. There will be change. Life also brings circumstances where people physically change. It's just a guarantee. These bodies are mostly made of water. Water changes all the time. Between water and gravity, the body's going to get pulled down. It's going to change. If people don't eat a clean diet, the brain's going to degenerate. So we've got a completely different person later on than we did when we first met them in the first five years. That's just a guarantee. I mean, the body degenerates. That's just what it does. It ages. Now we can do it at at slower degrees based on detoxing, cleansing, and and your healthy high vibe diet, which is what I have. But my body is still degenerating. It's a lot slower. But even that being said, when I met your father in 1995, I was a completely different person. <laughs> I was 27. And this body is now 54. It's a huge difference. And I look back on her. I don't even know her anymore. I mean, she's lifetimes ago. I look at 27-year-old Sonia. She was running a program. She wanted to get married and have children and be successful in performing and be super famous and win a Tony and win an Oscar. And, and that was somebody else's idea and from other lives and then from her childhood. And she was just going along with what, what she had learned from birth. It was literally it, her entire surroundings were, were telling her to do this. I also think that I also think that people would be a lot more adequately prepared for uh, partnerships if they were informed uh, from an early stage, if, like if their expectations were set up differently. Because all things considered, I think that you and James had the most perfect partnership that the two of you could have ever had. And I think that there's a reason why the two of you came together uh, in particular. I think that... I think that there... Even going into a relationship with the idea that you and your partner are going to change, you cannot expect what the reflection of being that intimate with a person is going to throw back at you. So to see your deepest, darkest, most intimate things reflected in somebody who you have allowed that intimacy to reflect in, that is something that nobody is emotionally prepared for, no matter how much they undergo in the beginning of their life. However, I do think it would help people a lot if, they, if the expectation of being in a relationship was set from the get-go that that was going to be what you're getting into. Because that, really what a relationship is, is it is just a way for humans to dive really deep into seeing love. And if you are able to see love that deeply, then that is a deeper level of understanding, then that's the, that's the riches that you take away from it. But it is something that is going to reveal to you everything from the highest highs to blood and guts, you know? So. Oh, yeah. It, there are so many different facets or aspects to love. Self-love, I mean, we can do what the early yogis, the early Buddhist monks, and all of the, you know, the early, early sages and seers did. You can sit at the top of a mountain and just be with yourself, or you can be in the brotherhood or the sisterhood of the ashrams and the temples, and you can just focus on just the spiritual life. And you can get 
I, this is my perception. You can get only so far. I have a couple of lives that I remember of being that way and being male. You can only get so far with that on this planet. And in order to see all aspects of yourself, and as we've shared so many times, this is a duality consciousness planet. You have to experience your light and your dark here in order to really learn all these aspects of yourself. You just have to. You can't come here and be love and light. It does not work. Well, actually, I, I also think that it is a, a really good example of, of revealing love is in the position of somebody like uh, the Dalai Lama, for example, where the idea is that you have this one soul that constantly reincarnates into different bodies and then essentially takes on that life of, uh, of, of being a monk, monastism, of just, uh, I think that's the word, of just um, essentially removing yourself from the world. But there is great love in that, and that's revealed to the Dalai Lama's soul because in sacrificing all of the other ways of learning, the Dalai Lama is giving a constantly balanced and as close to equal perspective as possible to everyone who is around to gain that perspective. So there's a give and take there. That's an element of sacrifice that I think reveals a very strong love. So in a way, the Dalai Lama's soul is actually learning a great deal from that because there's a there's a level of give there that is not really achievable if you're uh, out there just living your life in a much more emotionally fraught and um, a storybook sort of way. The Dalai Lama needed to learn more depth, which is why China invaded Tibet and they were driven out of Tibet. And when you watch interviews with the Dalai Lama, he's a cancer sun sign, by the way. When you watch interviews with the Dalai Lama, you will see his, his disdain and his, maybe disdain is too, too intensive a word. You will see his difficulty with what has happened to his country, which is completely taken over by the Chinese. And there had to be discord, even for Tibetan Buddhism. There had to be that darkness because Buddhism has to change. Um, yoga had to change, which is why yoga did, did change, which is why the, the late 19th century yogis and then ended up coming to North America and bringing it to North America. And they brought it to Europe because life has changed. And they, they, it had to have more depth. It needed, it needed to go down into the depths. And so yoga got taken over by corporate, you know, the corporate first world. And it's now so much marketing. And many, many people who practice yoga don't really even know its origin at all. They just, you know, know corporate brand. And uh, they think that, you know, going to a hot yoga class makes them spiritually enlightened or hoping that it'll make them spiritually enlightened. But in order to learn the levels of love and what we touched on in the beginning is hatred is also love. Darkness is also love. Um, loving someone so much that you walk away from them because you know that they need to experience their own levels of emotions that they are avoiding or somebody who stays in a relationship too long and is avoiding feeling that pain within themselves. Pain is love. Pain shows us love. 
like I've shared with you three and many people publicly for many years now, since this is the 10 year mark of divorce for myself and your father, is the most, one of the most loving things that I did for him was to say, this is it. Why don't we let this go and let's get divorced? I said, let's get divorced because he said, let's open the marriage. And I said, no, let's get divorced. That was one of the most loving things that I ever did for him. I did that because he wanted freedom and he needed to go and explore his own life. And so because I love him so much, I did that. Knowing how very painful that was for me, but it was painful to be in the marriage, but it was painful to also let it go and how painful it would be for you three. But that's how we learn. And look at everything we've learned so much from the pain of our family of five dissipating. Yeah, it totally shaped my perspective on relationships. And I've seen I've seen all kinds of relationships now. Um and I I enjoy seeing all the different kinds because it really just proved to me that there are an infinite amount of different ways in which love can manifest. I've seen couples I who are very explosive and start and end quickly. I've seen couples who start and experience a lot and stay together for as long as they can and then break up. I've seen I've seen couples who have managed to stay together for years and years and decades and decades and decades and are very aware of the fact that they're going through a constant sort of like uh, seeing their own shit in other people and then having to come back. And even then, they're still able to make it work. I have a great level of respect for couples who are able to do that because it is very rare. Um, but clearly that's how they've chosen to learn. And there's a level of shared, um, intimacy that their souls like to hold. Um, but I, I find it much more common that people have a, a much quicker cycle. And I, I wish that our society accepted that that was just going to be the case more naturally, because I think it makes the ones who do stay together much more special. And I think it provides much more learning experience for everyone else. Yes. Yes. What I've observed through people that have come in and out of my world who have committed partnerships or legal marriages, the ones that I have seen grow and shift together and support each other and, and work through accepting each other. It takes work to accept each other. A lot of work. These couples, number one, they're very unique. Very unique. Um, a couple of them that I know are same-sex couples. And what they have in common is that they did open their marriage and brought in other people into their marriage and actually brought in people who they wanted to be intimate with as a couple. And these couples, some of them are opposite-sex Couples and, and two of them are same sex couples, have been together for many, many years and have a deeper level of trust and understanding of themselves and of each other because they went into the relationship with the knowing that they were going to be attracted to other people and that they are coming together. Um, all of them have come together through a core spiritual belief. And also uh, a mental, a mental connection. 
they mentally stimulate each other and support each other in emotional release and have had to like really work hard on their egos to I'm triggered. And their, their level of communication I've noticed is amazing. I, we're going to practice active listening. You speak and share everything that you need to, and I'm going to do my best to just sit here and listen to you and hold space for you without trying to interject my own stuff here. And I have seen these couples very successfully stay together and shift as they change and they grow. And some of these couples have children and some of them don't. And I've seen the couples that have children do the kind of parenting, conscious parenting, which I did with you three in, they communicated everything honestly with their kids. One of the couples, um, they're both Taurus. They're healers and they have three children who are grown. And I think their daughter has her own children now. And I talked with both of them when I used to, when I used to um, go to their classes in Portland and I asked them, how are you doing this? They'd been together at that time for 23 years. That was a long time ago now. So it's been probably closer to 40 years at this point. I said, how do you do this? And they both looked at each other and laughed. And they said, A, with a lot of humor and B, with a lot of space. You got to have your own space, your own rooms. All the couples that I know that are successful in love with each other, they have their own rooms, they have their own beds, they have their own space because they know that they need to be the individual first. And these are things that I learned from all of them. The individual comes first, then the couple. And then if you're having children, the children come last. So you honor the individual first, then you honor the couple, the union that brings the children in, and then you honor the children. Now the children's needs need to be met, of course, but you never put the children before the partnership. And that was something that I had learned when I was still married. And I was working on that as much as possible. And it was not, it was not something that was going to really happen in, in my marriage. So what I did was I did the next best thing in that I just focused on being as conscious with you three as possible and poured all of my love into the three of you. And my love into the three of you was and still is honor you for who you are, knowing that you came in with your own life path that's completely separate from mine, that I cannot put my own personal agenda on you, that I have the life of a healer and a spiritual teacher and a performer and a parent and a sibling and, and a daughter, but that I can share that with you, but that that's not your life path. You have your own path. And so to always check in with you three and say, you know, what do you like and who are your friends and what music are you listening to and what books are you reading and what do you like and what shows are you watching? And, and I wasn't always perfect at that, of course. There's no other way I could learn if I was, but I did pretty good at always honoring you and saying, what do you want to do? Where would you like to go? You, we put you in music lessons because you loved music and that's what you wanted to do. Mars wanted to learn piano, so we bought an electric piano because Mars asked for it. Mars wanted to go climbing. So Mars and I had, you know, mommy Mars climbing time. And I took Mars to the circuit and we went climbing because Mars liked being physically active. 
Kaya just wanted to be with me. So I took him walking with me at trails all the time. And then he wanted to be with his friends. That's what you do. You, you bring your children to where they want to go and what they want to do. And nurture you kids. And of course, give your kids what, you know, what your physical bodies need. And, and I did the best at that I could. So it's... That's it, love. It, it's... it's Being a parent has got to be one of the most intense reflections of love that is physically possible on this planet because you you are really sacrificing so much of your own ego for the sake of your children. You are if you have a level of consciousness to know that. Well, yes. everyone is. Everyone is, and they learn it one way or another. Because from the first moment that your child is born and you have to give up hours of your sleep, something your ego doesn't want to do. If, if, you are, if you are willing to do the parenting path, and as you know, there are too many parents who are not willing to do that from birth, and so they give up their babies. Yes. Or they neglect their babies, and there's too much of that on the planet. But for those of us that are conscious parents... And what I mean by conscious is that we we chose to be parents. We deliberately got pregnant because we wanted to, and we birthed because we wanted to, even though it was hard. And we dedicated our life. I mean, as I've shared with you many times, I retired from performing so that I could be your mom. Yeah. And I happily did that because I'd been performing since I was born, and I knew performing would always be there for me. So this was a short time, and I knew that just from logic, but I also knew that from being a live-out nanny for eight years before I had you. And I knew that it was a finite amount of time that you would be growing up. It's so short. It's the most intense path that I find that you can do as being a human. I did give up everything. And we even gave up financial stability because I decided that we just, we both decided that I was going to be full-time at home. Well, and even, even after your children are grown, there is an element of, of continuous sacrifice. It never uh, ends. If your parent, if you, if you have children who, uh, you know, need you, uh, emotionally, maybe they need you financially. A lot of parents are, you know, through their understanding of that love, they are still willing to give and sacrifice of themselves. And then there's the element, like we haven't even gotten into the element of like part of raising a healthy child is sacrificing any level of desire to control their path. And so, oh, yeah. and so that's something that never ends, right? Because your child's mm-hmm. going to go off and do things that maybe you wouldn't do. And if you're somebody who understands, hopefully, is most people, most, this is a hard one I find for a lot of parents to grasp, but like, it is instrumental in the development of your child that they be allowed to go through anything and everything that their life brings in. So you do not have the ability to tell your child, no, I'm not going to let you do that past a certain point in their life. Too many, too many parents do that and their children end up rebelling and running off. That's too much of the standard. And I knew that I had to change that. I knew that I had to change that from the time 
probably that I was a teenager and my father was trying to do that. Yeah, to me. and I should. And I, I said, I, I, I have to do this. I differently. think it's there's definitely there's a level of like that starts is like you know when your child really starts to like kind of mature. But I, I guess just to clarify, I'm, I'm more so I'm referring to like when your child develops into an adult and they are fully grown. There's like an element of like sacrifice where you're like, I have to let go of you as your own person now. And that's like a very, I'm sure that's a very like weird thing. It's, it's, it's incredibly challenging when your children become teenagers and go through the natural autonomous stage. You were my everything, and now I pretty much want nothing to do with you. And it kind of happens overnight. And as a full-time mom, and even though I was, you know, working, I was still considered myself a full-time mom and a single parent. And it was, I have got to do all of this, and I have to do it myself, and I have very little support on this. And I mean, I picked this life perfectly. It pushed me into letting go and just allowing everything to be what it is to like, I don't have any control. So for you, your adolescence compared to your siblings was actually really easy. You were, you were super easy. I knew intuitively and psychically that you were going to I would say dabble in substance once you were going to go into the professional music world. I knew that from the moment you said to me when you were a senior in high school, uh, I, I'm actually not going to be an engineer. I'm a musician. And I was so supportive of you, as you know, and I was really excited. I mean, I already knew that, but then it was, he's going to get into substance. And it was like, Oh God. And I knew that I had to go through that with you. Like there was no way I was going to avoid it. And I already knew what it was. And I was like, geez. And I had a couple of good cries about that because I'm like, oh, my God, I have to go through this with him. Jesus, help me. And then Mars was the hardest simply because of the transgender and the 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 queerness and the constant Pop culture changing of what my definition is of my labeling and what I am and he, she, it, them, they, and blah, 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 blah. And for me, it's just, it's, it's the love for Mars has just been, I'm just here to support you in whatever way you want me to. <laughs> I just said, I'm going to let go of any idea of what you are. Mars is basically clay. I would say that Mars is Play-Doh is actually a more accurate. I think that's an extremely valuable lesson to take for everyone else, (laughs) though, too. Like, because that's kind of how I would say that Mars and then also kind of just like growing up and being more exposed to the, you know, burgeoning like identity. uh, I, I guess like identity crisis it's it like is. it's an identity it's kind crisis, of a social crisis but it also depends on your definition it depends on where you're coming from because it's like so that what what i always explain to people when they say you know oh well there's this whole social media campaign to oh God. to to take away the gender of and i'm like mars was born queer uh-huh. so mars was queer in utero mars was born queer we all knew mars was queer i knew mars was queer at birth at the moment that she, he, it, they, them literally Wait. latched onto the breast. So from that moment on, I knew looking down at this beautiful little jibba 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 little face and little rosebud mouth and little cinnamon vanilla smell of the scalp 
first thing I said to your father was she's bisexual. And then, you know, it's like I asked for a queer child. And second, I knew from the way that Mars was behaving already as a newborn, a fear of eye contact, um, turning the head away sometimes when you put your face in to kiss, whereas you, you and your brother never did that. You guys received immediately my mouth, my face, the eye contact, everything. And Mars was the avoidance of it. And it was like, all right, I have to change the way that I show this child love because this is challenging for this child. And so it was, you made it easy to, you were very independent. You want to do your own thing and you're very impatient. And and I knew that because that's more of my behavior. With Mars, it was a lot like my brother. Give them a lot of space, which is love. Lots and lots of space. And then just be there for them when they want to come and share everything with you. And for my personality, which is bigger than life and very dramatic and and very, very forthright and assertive and, hey, let me come talk with me right now. That didn't work with Mars. Mars was like, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. And I'm feeling and I'm feeling kind of depressed. And then when I'm manic, because Mars is, you know, bipolar, when I'm feeling manic, then I'm going to come and talk to you, which is exactly what happened. When I'm manic, I'm going to come and talk with you and tell you everything, 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 everything. But I learned that I could not expect that Mars is going to be like that all the time, which was very exciting because that was a deep, intimate connection when Mars would finally come to me and just start talking, 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 Jupiter, Saturn, and Gemini, talking, 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 talking. And then for me as the mom, it's like, oh, they're finally talking with me and tell me more. And tell me about your friends and tell me about that and tell me about that. And what do you think of that? And it was a very temporary state. And to learn to just accept that then Mars is going to go back into their room, go back on the computer and the music and drop off for don't know how long. Yeah. And that you have to just hold that space and you have to, you as a parent, you have to be okay with that behavior because this is your kid. Yeah. And that was completely different behavior that I only knew from my brother. Well, yeah, there's, so there's that element of, of kind of like, you know, of, of sacrificing a part of yourself and and it's i think so important to learn how to do that for the sake of allowing other people to be themselves and i think this is why like it's these relationships that can be really instrumental building blocks and in teaching you how to do that because i would definitely say that like having mars as my brother and like you know always feelings that that strong like ability to do that for him and to love him and to and to just understand that that's just how mars is and like and it's it that's the key it understanding that that's yeah, just how I just mars understand is that that's how mars is but it also helps when i when i come into contact with other people who have similar qualities of mars because it made me understand to just see people for who they are and it made me understand very early that i have to hold some level of space for everyone so that i can allow them to be the fullest versions of themselves that they could possibly be so i took that and i applied that to the entire world because i found it to be the most gratifying it's weird in that level of self-sacrifice i found it to be very gratifying for myself to see other people 
be the best versions of themselves. No, of course, it, because you want to see them grow. Mm-hmm. They're growing. And you know, this brings to mind again, the Toltec wisdom of the Ruiz family, Don Miguel Ruiz and his sons, of the Four Agreements. That, what I have always found, especially through you three kids, is when I am observing you and when I am just creating space for you as your loving parent, it's unconditional. You can come and tell me anything. It's the same thing that my mom always said to my brother and sister and I. You can come and tell me anything. She always said that to us from the time we were born. And my sister and I took that seriously, and we did. You can come and tell me anything, and I will be here to listen to you and to support you in listening to you, just listening to you and support you in your growth. And in that, the self-love that comes out of that, it's in the same vibration as the four agreements. I'm always doing my best when I do that. I'm being impeccable with my word by honoring that when you come, I am just listening and I'm just asking you the who, what, when, why, where, and how questions so that I can probe more deeply into you so that I can learn more about you to learn more about myself, but then I can also support you in that. And don't take anything personally. This is so key for everybody, but especially for parents. What your kids do has nothing to do with you. Nothing. What anybody has to do has nothing to do with you. We project without what's going on within us. But with Mars, it was not taking anything personally because Mars was the most difficult teenager because Mars had a fear of communicating. And I'm such a communicator. So there's that contrast between the two of us and Mars as a teenager repeatedly missing the 10 p.m. curfew. And Mars is not communicating and I'm getting mad. And then I... Uh, after we go through all of this where I literally would lock Mars out of the house and say and, and communicate that I'm locking the door. It's 11 o'clock at night. And, all you know, my my funny little pan bitch, I would call Mars a pan bitch just because I was so mad. And Kyan would be so worried, so worried that Mars wasn't back. And I would just have to sit on Kyan's bed then and explain to Kyan. And here's loving as well. Explain to Kyan my parenting process so that he understands and then say to him, this is a primo opportunity for you as the youngest to learn from Mars's behavior now and to make different choices as a teenager yourself. Communicate, communicate clearly, then everything's going to be smooth. So not taking anything personally. And the big one, don't make assumptions. Mars has been probably the biggest teacher for me on not making assumptions out of the three of you, simply because Mars did make assumptions and did take everything personally and wasn't impeccable with their word and didn't always do their best because of the fears, the fears. And so when you practice that as a parent, that's what helps you to be as conscious of a parent as possible. And you can then pull back from your emotions with your child. So that you can see everything kind of from the outside in, really, the wide shot. That's a way of being very loving with yourself when your teenager is going through their crazy, possessive adolescent developmental stages, which is so intense. It's hard enough for two parents to do that with teenagers even harder for one parent, which is what my situation was. And again, as I said to you earlier, I clearly chose this life to be a single parent with really no, no fatherly help. 
it was like the biggest crash course on you have got to learn to let people be themselves. Clearly in other lifetimes, I didn't. You have got to let people be themselves and accept them for who they are and just love them for being human. And I picked three kids who you all came through me with extreme fears. And I don't have that. So it was an ability for me to nurture you all into finding yourselves. And with Kyan, it's, the, it's just the fear of taking charge and living life, creating his own life. I mean, he's still an older teenager, but he just has a fear of leaving the house. He has a fear of being in his own body. And so it's with my, with my, my loving with him is to stop supporting him. <laughs> yeah. Like he has to figure yeah. it out himself. And that's the most loving thing that I can do is not buy his food, not buy new clothing for him, even though his clothes are wearing out. Not, it's the most loving thing I can do because he has to learn to love himself. Yeah. And yeah. that's love. That's another level of love. And it it's is so hard. hard to do that. Mm -hmm. But I know I know that if I did it the other way, it would be codependency and not love, which is, of course, what humanity confuses with love. Absolutely. They confuse codependency, codependency with love. control, oh, and yes. uh, yeah, the sort of, the idea that you're doing, you are doing, you are making the best decision on behalf of someone else because you know better for them. Oh, yeah. I mean, codependency is a virus, a disease, an epidemic in humanity. And I honestly don't know when it started. I don't remember when codependency oh, I, started. I would say that it probably started with the first, the first indication of fear in any level of partnership, because I think it's fear that manifests codependency. Because absolutely. I'm, what I'm saying is I don't know what timeline. Oh, I have absolutely no idea. I don't idea. know if it I'm was sure. post-Atlantis or Atlantis. Uh, like oh, my mind I'm, will go I'm to sure, that. I'm sure with the first people, there was probably that. I'm sure that before yeah. people were capable of formulating solid thought, that occurred as an action. Perhaps. And I'm sure that the action repeated itself because you even see you even see that same level of fear in animals. In oh, animals oh, who yes, are partnered. Oh, yes, you do. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> yes, it's like, it's a very... It's it's a very, uh, it's a very, um, it's a very alive thing. It's, it's just kind of like a tendency that has existed, uh, probably since the beginning of time. And it's just, it's, it really is just an opposition to, to what love is. And as we know, life is just formed out of oppositions and the space between opposition is observation. So when we observe the two sides of this, we see that really all there is is a choice in the present. There's a choice between, are you going to allow fear to take over and say, I'm going to do what I think is best for you? Or are you going to say, I have no control over you. I'm only going to do what is best for both of us on my behalf. Yes. Yes, absolutely. What I have realized, and you're, of course, my oldest, so you were the catalyst for this, but I saw this coming before you graduated from the public school system from high school. I saw that you were going to go, I already knew this from my childhood because I watched, because I'm the youngest of three, I watched my brother and sister do this, and I watched how my parents responded to them. And I began formulating the the cognitive understanding 
of these are the cycles of life and this is what's going to come for me if I have children. I didn't even think if, I thought when, when I have children, is these kids are going to grow up and they are not going to need me on this level. And I'm a full-time mom. They are the entire, my entire reason for existing right now. And when Kyan was born, I was already talking with Nana and Papa about, I got to find my own thing. (laughs) I can't go back into performing anymore. I I can't drag my kids to auditions. That's super time consuming. It's not going to pay me any money. And honestly, I've already done it. Like I don't, what else could I possibly do with performing? I'm going to have to do something else. And of course, health and wellness and nutrition was number one on the list. It was everything I already was so focused on. And of course, all the psychic stuff and everything came in in astrology and numerology and doing readings. And and then of course, yoga brought me right back into movement again. Instead of dance, it was, well, teach yoga and then getting the Pilates certification and teach Pilates. And it was, okay, I... I have to have my own life outside of these kids because they're going to, they're they're And we're going to come upon it quickly where they're going to go through that natural, independent, autonomous. I have to find my own path and you have to find your own thing. And I feel like that algorithm that humans go through, that was clearly, we created this for ourselves. You, Mature, your body matures enough that it begins to crave procreating. And if you listen to that craving early enough, you procreate. If you're mature enough to it, and clearly we, the bodies procreate before we're mature enough to really realize how to do this well. And so to wait as long as you can to procreate so that you have a a mental and emotional um, level of consciousness of understanding of how to do this well. And prepare yourself as much as you can. That algorithm of, all right, now in the first 12 years, that child is going to need you every day, all the time. But then you have to start to see once they get close to 12, that you're going to need to create something else for yourself because that child is not going to need you like that anymore. They still need you, but they need you in a very different way. And I saw that. And so that's when I started creating my own work and teaching all my yoga classes and spirituality came out of that. And you left and then I had to nudge Mars out because Mars was stuck. And then Mars, you know, found taking care of animals and, and dog, all of that. And Mars had already all of their online queer life and their social groups and so then it was, okay, Kyan and Kyan already was not needing me. And so it was, you know, building my business and doing all my work and helping everybody to heal and to awaken. But then even the next level, because you still, when you want to be a parent, you still have so much love to give. That's why we got the cats. That's why, you know, I got fur children. I, because I, it's like, I still need that so much. And so to have, Another focus for your love. What it did, I noticed, was that when I was able to put all of my love into my cats, my work, my online community, planning where do I want to spend life now? Where do I really want to go? When I did that, it really just kept the door open for you kids just to come on back in 
in the way that you wanted to come back into my world because my focus wasn't on, we got to spend time together. We got to have a family walk and I need you. I need you to be in my life. I, I put my needs into something else. And then it was, oh, wait a minute. I want to spend time with you, mom. And it made it so much easier. And then to really go through the, the loving process with all three of you of, I'm still your parent. I'm here for you and with you. I have my own life. Come in in, in the way that you want to come in. And to allow the relationship with your child to grow into what it wants to grow into. I've been observing that and just being in that, having my own world. And it's just been an amazing reveal of this is just the natural algorithm of life. We all still want to be together, but we want to be together in a way where we all feel supported in who we are. And as a parent, it's so important that we love our children for who they are and that we allow everybody to just be who they are. And they'll still come in. The ego will come in and will fear loss, fear abandonment, and will clutch. And you literally have to work through your own stuff. As a person, you have to work through your own stuff. Like with your father, you know, I wanted to get away from him. The marriage was long done before the divorce happened. I didn't want to be around him at all. And it was so funny because through a lot of my deeper healing, it was when I went to John of God and I was working through some of the deep healing with him in the marriage. And there were several people there who were way more conscious than me were saying, Sonia, you will never get rid of him. <laughs> and I was like, don't tell me that. And they're like, no, he's you. You will never, ever get rid of him. And then, you know, I was working through the, the, the issues with my brother and the same, you know, the same person, the same archetype for me, my brother, my husband, same archetype. And they're like, just like you'll never get rid of him either. <laughs> One of the healers, he's so funny, Wahim. He was like, no, you'll never get rid of either of them. <laughs> They're you. I'm like, I don't want to see my brother. It doesn't matter if you want to see him or not. He's always going to come around and you're going to see all kinds of symbols and signs and archetypes of him. They're completely true. And so with the loving process, let everybody go. When you let go of the external person, you'll see how they're really you internally. That's love. Yeah. That's the kind of love that you're here to experience is to realize, I feel like it's because it's self-realization. It's the realization that who you think is them is really you. They're really you. That's love. Thank you so much, everyone, for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, if you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. So you can leave us a response on our Q&A forms, which I know you can find on Spotify. I don't know if they have them on Apple, but I would check that out or any of the other platforms. Or we have a Patreon group where we do a one-hour-long Q&A session every single Sunday. So you can find us on Patreon, uh, Patreon slash One Long Conversation. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved in the process and uh, 
heal everyone collectively. That's that's sort of the goal with this is inner healing for the self, for the collective. Uh, let's just find the best way to do it, get it all out there, and uh, move forward. So thank you guys so much, and we will see you for next week's episode.